Olasu. So this morning I'd like to talk about rats, which are very useful critters. I know as an environmentalist, creatures that all have their niche in nature. Rats are great garbage disposals. But indoors, not so useful. They tend to create more mess than they clean up. And so the analogy, of course, is the rats are like thoughts. And mindfulness of breathing is like a cat. <laughs> Keep a cat in your house, the mice tend to leave. Right? Can I milk that one anymore? I think I can. Back in the 14th century, about one-third of the European population was wiped out by the bubonic plague. It was rats. But it wasn't just the rats. It was the rats carrying fleas. And the fleas are mental afflictions. But it wasn't the fleas that the problem. That is, they carried the bubonic plague, and that's what killed everybody. Right? And so when we experience the symptoms of mental distress, two big ones are depression and anxiety. You might want to look for the cooperative conditions that catalyze it. And you may find that every single time, for just for those two, there's a, lot, there's a broad bandwidth of mental suffering. But anxiety, anxiety and depression are really very high on the list. Right? You may check out, whenever you're experiencing depression or anxiety, whether it's not writing on the backs of, ruminate, of mental afflictions, for starters. And the answer is yes. And whether the mental afflictions are not carried by the rats of rumination. Right. So, I'll, re I'll remind you again, it's something really important, and that is, Tsongkhapa points out, and he's drawing on classic, I mean, classic Indian sources, but it's not just authority. He's drawing on just generations and generations of tremendous degree of experience, contemplative experience, tracing back to classical India. And that is, if you want to achieve shamatha, not only during sessions, but in between sessions, you have to completely eliminate rumination, or the Sanskrit term is vikarpa. You have to totally get rid of it. I mean, it's like, you know, like, like an like a alcoholic, just not drinking any booze any longer at all, ever. That doesn't mean, of course, you never think. Rats outdoors can be very, very useful. Indoors, let's call those like rumination, the semi-lucid, the, 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 the semi-conscious or non-lucid thinking, rumination, which is just the fertile ground for the, for the arising proliferation of mental afflictions, which give rise to all kinds of mental suffering. So the shamatha is just a, a, like a straight avenue here, especially mindfulness of breathing, a straight method for not curing the disease, but for, dis but for totally suppressing its carrier, its host, mental afflictions. And just by doing that, and not by going unconscious, that's very peaceful, but that's all it is. It's just you know taking an anesthetic, drinking yourself into a stupor, falling a deep asleep, all very nice, but it, you know, nothing happens, and not even blissful. Whereas shamatha, when you luminously and lucidly get your mind to calm down, and the conceptualization goes still, 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 and your whole conceptual mind withdraws into substrate consciousness, then lo and behold, it's not just peaceful, it's actually blissful and luminous, and of course, 
non-conceptual. So by itself, does that cure the disease? No, it doesn't. But it gives you an awfully nice respite from the symptoms. And then, of course, the great boon here is by achieving shamatha, you not only are temporarily freed from or have made dormant the five obscurations, but you've also brought out the five jnana factors. And these are your tools. These are tremendous tools that you apply to vipassana to really liberate the mind. Okay? So this cannot be more, too strongly emphasized. People who get depressed when they're in retreat, it's easy to get depressed in retreat. You're a junkie who's been deprived of all your stuff. No television, no chit-chat, no work, no nothing. You're just sitting there in your cell. Like, give me a fix, give me a fix. And since you're not getting any fix, then the, the body produces its own heroin. Blah, 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 blah. You know, rumination, right? So of course you get depressed. Well, but your depression is carried on the backs of rumination. Really true. So this is where there's a marvelous compatibility, and not only compatibility, but a synergy with the four applications of mindfulness. Right? Because it keeps on coming as back, bringing it back to perception, which is not conceptualization and is not rumination. It keeps on bringing us back, and you come back. You may experience physical pain. If your body's in pain, then sure, you can certainly get that. But when you bring this laser-sharp awareness to it, even that can be attenuated. The degree to which physical pain grips you can definitely be influenced. But so much of what troubles us when we are in solitude, when we are in retreat, not so much physical pain. That can be an issue. Mostly it's mental. And so coming back to the present moment, clearly, in perception, non-conceptually, and attending closely in between sessions, tremendous boom. It's almost like antiseptic. It's like, like washing down the halls with antiseptic between sessions. And then we're in the session. Then you're really doing the deep work to tap right into the substrate consciousness. And bear in mind, this is tapping into or leading us to another whole dimension of knowing. It's called in Sanskrit abhijna. Abhi means higher, something some, like abhidharma, higher dharma, higher dharma. Abhi means something higher. Also means manifest. Abhisamayalankada. Abhi, abhi. Clear, higher, manifest. And jnami simply means knowing. It's a higher knowing, like a higher frequency knowing. Oh, what do we call that in English? Abhijna. Exosensory perception. And that is, we perceive by way of ordinary five physical senses, and then we know all kinds of stuff on a coarse level by means of conceptualization. Very useful, but mostly hedonically, frankly. Right? Whereas tap into the substrate consciousness, and at step in, as tap into the substrate consciousness, you're now in a flow of knowing that is not sensory by way of the five physical senses, but it's also not conceptual, because it is non-conceptual. You're just now in a flow of non-conceptual knowing. Now, you're not knowing much when you're just resting there, because you're just knowing the substrate. But you're ready to launch. And from that vantage point, you can launch into remote viewing, clairaudience, past life recollection, and so forth and so on. You can launch into a lot of modes of knowing because that's your platform. Luminous, blissful, and non-conceptual. And boom. And Atisha says, if you don't have abhijna, you really can't help other people. Did he mean you can't help other people hedonically? 
No, that would be crazy. Of course you can help people hedonically. In a, in a, mil, a zillion ways, inconceivable number of ways, we can help people hedonically. So many ways. As an accountant, as a, as a hard, running a hardware store. That's all very useful. If you need hardware, then you need a hardware guy. Right? So what's he talking about? This man was brilliant, Atisha. He was a genius, as well as a great bodhisattva and so forth. Of course, what he's talking about is if you really want to lead people to genuine happiness, on the path of liberation and to awakening itself, how are you going to do that without abhijna? How are you going to do that without extrasensory perception? You're blind leading the blind. So, shamat is an access to that. And then when we go, well, are there dimensions to abhijna? And then it's, oh yeah, definitely. There's not another whole dimension of abhijna, extracentral perception, that comes only from the union of shamat and vipassana. Oh, that's, that's definitely, that's, that's way up there. That's really going deep. That's really going deep. Is there anything beyond that? Beyond the union of shamat and vipassana? Vipassana, insight into emptiness. Yeah, there is. The knowing from Rikpa itself doesn't get any better than that. So that's the path we're following here. So fasten your seatbelts. Let's go. And let's not be teetotalers. Teetotalers, cold turkey. Rumination, public enemy number one. Use thoughts like rats outdoors. Let them eat the garbage out there. Use thoughts. Pick them up and put them down. But when you put them down, you, st- you keep them down. Don't let them take over and infest your mind. Because they just poop all over the place. <laughs> they do. as an act of loving-kindness for yourself. And indirectly for all those whom you may serve in the near future and the distant future. Settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural states.
than following any of the three methods of mindfulness of breathing of your choice. Arouse your attention with each in-breath, focusing clearly, non-conceptually, knowing on the sensations of the breath. And with every out-breath, relax deeply. So in a 24-minute session, you have a myriad of very short sessions. One session for each cycle of the respiration. Arousing the attention, thereby overcoming laxity. Deeply releasing, relaxing. Thereby overcoming excitation. Breath by breath, balance your mind. Refine your attention. And relentlessly, Dispel rumination.
then a, a brief reminder, and that is in terms of the flow of the respiration. See that you're not helping it along. Reinforcing the in-breath, expelling the out-breath. On the contrary, breathe effortlessly, yet mindfully, but as effortlessly as if you were deep asleep. And let's continue practicing now in silence.
Oh, not so. Between sessions, get real, stay real. Enjoy your day.